You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We have been uh, on a journey uh, uh, recently in the last few weeks uh, talking about the extra mile. And the reason that we're talking about this extra mile, I always kind of like to, to frame you know, the reason, the why of wh- why we're having this conversation. The reason we're having this is that I believe that sometimes people, they can dismiss, we can dismiss themselves when we look in the Bible and think, well, I'm not a Moses, I'm not a King David, I'm not an Esther, I'm not a Deborah. And we can say, you know, I, I, I'm just going to let other people do it. But God uses people of all intellectual levels. He uses people of all economic levels. He uses people of all uh, backgrounds and, and every single person God uses. But there is a commonality to the people that God uses in the scripture, and it's those who are willing to go to the extra mile. Now, sometimes they don't know that they are are able to go the extra mile. In fact, at the very beginning, like Moses, you're like, wow, I can't do it. Gideon, boy, I can't do it. But nevertheless, God invited them and challenged them to stretch because not only do we move and advance the work of God when we're willing to go the extra mile, but here it is, we find our greatest purpose when we get out of our familiarity of comfort and do something that's more than we think we can do because that's when we see God at work because we know that we're not doing it. When I see 410 people coming for discipleship training, we know that's not us. We know that God is moving. And when we come into this level of living, then we experience what Jesus said, that when we lose our life, we find it. There's a secret life. There's a hidden life that culture typically doesn't introduce to us. It typically culture doesn't invite us into because culture invites us to the comfort. Culture invites us to take all that we can take, to live all that we can live, to to check off the items of our bucket list. And yet when we do that, at the end of that journey, why do we still feel unsatisfied? And we feel unsatisfied because there's this paradox that Jesus has has laid out for us that is going that extra mile that we think, wow, this is really life. This is the thing that culture doesn't teach us. Last week we talked about rest stops, how important it is to to rest in the Lord. We're going to touch on that. And today is a play on words. We're talking about rust stops, that there is resting and resting is good in and of itself, but we we can't always rest to the place where we begin to rust. So let me begin this morning with a strange definition of what rust is. Rust is a naturally occurring phenomenon, a naturally occurring phenomenon where certain metals are exposed to oxygen and water, watch, for a length of time. For human beings, it's the length of time that often sneaks up on us, the things that are so subtle. 
So let me, let me begin this morning right in our own backyard. And if you've tuned in online and maybe you're from a different part of the country, maybe you're, part of, you're a different uh, part of the world, uh, you'll just give us some allowance to talk about our own, our own region here in Florida. A lot of times in Florida when you say, hey, how you doing? People will say, another day in paradise, right? We live here in paradise. Sometimes vote at the number one beach, but if that if you're living somewhere else, don't move here. We got enough people. All right, just stay home. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. You can come on down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> come on down in July. You'll never stay. Yeah. And so we do live in paradise, especially about this time of year till then March. And then, you know, once April, May hits, it's the exact opposite of paradise, a word I won't use on Sunday morning, but you know what I mean. The challenge that I see is that in every culture, whether it's global culture or it's, it's national culture, it's really interesting to see how sometimes our greatest challenges I lived in New England for a while. New England uh, can, can be a very intellectual place. And, you know, to have um, kind of openness to the gospel, it's getting warmer to the gospel. But for many years, it was a very tough place. And so the least the circles I ran into when I was in school there, that intellectualism, which is a good thing, but intellectualism became sometimes the obstacle to the simplicity of the gospel. Here in, in Florida... If I might just be so honest, one of our greatest challenges is the paradise part of it. Sometimes the greatest challenge are the comforts that are around us, that we have a beautiful beach, we have beautiful, uh, you know, uh, surroundings, etc. And it does seem to be, let's call it a flip-flop culture. You know, people move here to relax and moving to Florida to kind of take it easy, to, to pull back. And of course, there's nothing wrong with having fun, nothing wrong with taking it easy. But I do believe that in each region of the country or the world, we have to identify at least that thing that can hold us back from doing the thing and living the life of the extra mile. I remember when I moved from the Midwest, my first job here in Florida was on the East Coast, and I got a, uh, a college teaching job. And uh, because I had taught some college uh, in years past, and it was kind of part of my life, and I came here, and so I showed up the first day, long sleeve shirt and a tie. And uh, I noticed that nobody else had one. And so, you know, day two, day three, I kept, you know, coming to work with a long sleeve shirt and a tie on. I noticed the chairman of my department, he had a different attire. He had a Hawaiian shirt, shorts, sandals, no socks. I thought, well, that's a little strange, you know, for the chairman of the department. I had not seen that. About three weeks into it, he walks into my office. He, he Steve, you got to help us out. Kill the tie. You're making the rest of us look bad. And so it was my introduction into the more relaxed culture. Let me speak to my friends who are retired. Because too often, culture has dismissed you and has marginalized you. And I want to challenge you today to say that I believe that you are the treasures among us. You have the years, the decades, the library of experience of both good and bad, mountains and valleys. And we desperately need to hear your voice. We're a church that believes in disciple-making. You 
are premium disciple makers to pour into someone. There's someone that uh, it was in our first service this morning. And my son, uh, who's now a freshman in college, you know, when he got in high school, he's kind of, he doesn't know, am I in youth group or in, am I in the adult world? And he would come, and many of you know him, and I, I would see him sitting there by himself. And there was this one man who was a retired school teacher, taught at Sarasota School, uh, High School for, for over 20 years. And he would just say hi to my son. And he would strike up a conversation. And my son would come home and say, somebody talked to me today, Dad. And he was an adult. Like he was shocked that an adult talked to him. There are people peppered throughout this room that of your value, maybe they're 12 or maybe they're 22 or 32, they need to hear your voice. They'll look up to you more than you think. Listen, let me say it in a raw way. God did not call you to move to Florida to rust. He called you to Florida to be used as if he were to call you Arizona, New York City, Chicago, doesn't matter. Wherever God plants us, he does not give us the, the, the invitation to just rest and do nothing so that we become rust. Culture, in a way, is always working against us. And again, to those who are retired, they, we say, oh, you, you know, we're done with you. Let me just tell you very directly, God is not done with you. We're not done with you, and we need you. It works on both ends of the spectrum. Some of you are sitting here, the teenagers, like, what can I do? Let me remind you that David began as a teenager, and David was used powerfully by God. The point is that none of us have the ability to say, I'm done. I'm too busy. We just had a baby. We just got married. We just bought a new house. We just did this. I just retired. I was a snowbird. You know, all of these things we, we can justify. We, I, I'm out of the game for that. It's what just came to me on the, on the first service. Let's call it rustification. You, saw, you see what I'm talking about? We rustify ourselves. Write that down. <laughs> Look, there is a time for rest. We get that. I'm, I was thinking this week about uh, Joshua and how he spent four decades walking with Moses. Moses was his hero. Moses was his teacher. Moses was his model. Moses was his disciple maker. And when you look at the story in the, in the desert in the, with the Israelites, it was rugged. I mean, outside of the blistering sun and sandstorms and all that, you had a bunch of people that, for the most part, it looked like they were grouchy. And it looked like they wanted to go back to a horrible situation of slavery and oppression. They wanted to kill Moses at times. And Joshua stuck by his side. Joshua was invited halfway up the mountain. Joshua was invited near the tent. Joshua was by Moses' side. So I can't imagine what it was like when Moses died, if you put yourself in Joshua's shoes. There was a time of grieving. There was a natural time of rest. And Joshua could have identified himself for the rest of his life 
Well, I used to be Moses' assistant. I used to be the protege. I used to be the, the, the guy that was right in his shadow, and he could have lived in that moment because some people were tempted to live in the identity of what was and not what is or what can be. Some of those backgrounds, some of those moments of our history are painful. Some people say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm abused, I'm this. And God would say, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. There's something new that God wants to do that we're not living in the way that we used to. Why? Because God still wants to use us. Moses could have said, I'm a murderer. I'm, I'm just going to rust. And he had planned to rust in being a sheep herder the rest of his life. And God said, your last quarter is going to be your best quarter. Abraham, well, we can't have kids. I guess that's the name of that game. God said, let's think otherwise. Abraham's last quarter was his best quarter. God is never finished with us. So here's Joshua at the death of Moses. He could have just said, I I'm out. But watch this. I find it a bit alarming. In Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until rest has a shelf life. Grief has a shelf life. We're resting until the time of mourning and weeping was over. It's time now to move on. And then this is the shocking part. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' ace, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. There just seems like there, there could have been a Hallmark version of that was a little softer. But he's saying the job is not done. We're not in the promised land. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, new chapter, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. They rest it not to rust, but they rest it to get ready. So when we looked at Psalm 62 last week, there's a, there's a key in here. And the key is found in, in, in these words. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. There's a difference between resting and resting in, in God. And I propose to you that we need both. There are some times that we just need a physical rest. We need an emotional rest. We need a mental rest. Our bodies are saying, hey, you got to take it easy. You, you, need to, you need to breathe a little bit, right? But let's be careful that resting physically, emotionally, and, and mentally is different than resting in God, resting spiritually, because we're going to derive our strength from God. And if I just go to the beach and take out a lawn chair and look at the, uh, at the ocean and not involve God, I may be resting, but resting in God is different. Let me put it this way. 
resting just alone is like pulling off the side of the road. I've got to take, you know, I've been driving for a long time. I'm going to pull off the side of the road and I'm just going to pull into a gas station. I'm going to go into the gas station. I'm going to get some of those little spicy nuts, you know, uh, spicy peanuts or a Slim Jim. Let's get it really healthy with, you know, a million things in there you can't even pronounce. And uh, a Mountain Dew and then, man, we're ready to go, right? I know, I've really fallen off the wagon here. I know, totally. I'm, I'm going to, most places don't have kale chips, all right? So give me a break. That's resting. Resting in the Lord is pulling off the road, pulling up to the gas pump and putting the fuel in because we need the supernatural fuel for the rest of the journey. So this is why he says, I want you to find rest in God alone because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might because merely resting is sometimes getting away from the Bible, from the battle. Resting in the Lord is getting ready for the battle. Does that make sense? We need, we need to have both. All right, so if you... Some people like to hover. If you brought your Bible, Psalm 84, we're going to kind of hover right there for a moment, or you'll see the Bible verses still up on the screen. This is a profound psalm in, in, in this collection of psalms. This is such a profound moment in Psalm 84 and beautiful, as you'll see. In Psalm 84, in verse 5, we see this same theme of resting in the Lord, but there's some added angles here. Watch this. In verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, watch, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Now, in the Bible, there's sometimes multiple angles to what we're reading. Sometimes there's a historical angle. There's a context, but sometimes there's a practical spiritual angle. The historical angle here is that the Jewish people would often take a pilgrimage toward Jerusalem, towards what they would say, as you're going to see, Mount Zion. In other words, they would come for to celebrate different festivals and different religious, you know, activities, etc. And so they would they would make this pilgrimage. For us, Zion is often equated to heaven. We are on a pilgrimage from here to there. Here's why this makes an incredible difference. We need not just to rest so that we rust. We need to rest in the Lord to gain strength from the Lord because we are going from A to B. We are on pilgrimage. We are on mission. We have a purpose. We're not just getting rest in the Lord for our sake, but it's for the sake of the, of the journey, of the mission. Are, are you following? So we're, what we say is we're resting in the Lord. I love this. Our strength is in the Lord for those who have set their hearts. Paul said, set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on things on earth. I've set my heart like, God, I am in the journey. I am in the mission. Whatever is coming my way today, I'm there to advance the work of God. Therefore, I need your strength because I can't do it in my own strength. I'm going to have the strength and the power of the Lord. Are you following? It gets better. Watch. In Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in the next verse in Psalm 84, 
as they pass on this pilgrimage through the valley of Baca, let me, let me pause, the valley of Baca, it comes from a, uh, like the balsam tree, which grows like in a really dry place. You ever been to like Arizona and you see, wow, there's a tree growing in the middle of the sand and the middle of the, you know, uh, gravel and stuff. You know, they, it's like, wow, it's, it's growing there. But it also means this. It means the valley of weeping, the valley of weeping. Watch, as we pass through the valley of weeping, we make it a place of springs. I'm hearing a lot these days, a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of worry with the war in, in Ukraine, with the war in, in Israel and what's happening and, and the tensions that we're seeing in our own country about the divisions and, 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 uh, and there's just a lot of intensity. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of concern even from my Christian brothers and sisters. I get it. We look at the TV. They have a way of kind of, you know, amping up even what's already horrible. But let me just say that wherever we are in the world, because things might get worse, the Bible actually says they will. That wherever we are in the world, God has not left the building. God is still in charge. And what God calls us to do is not to wring our hands in the, in the valley of, of weeping, the valley of concern, the valley of grief. God calls us to be on a pilgrimage where we are bringing refreshment, where we are bringing light, where we are bringing comfort, where we are bringing hope. That's what it means to be a place of springs in a desert. If you ever come on a place of spring, like, man, there it is. I want to. I want to be. I want to be part of. I, I, I need that. People are thirsting for that. There are 410 people, obviously in Mozambique. Like I need that. There are people that you work with. There are people in your family. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your own personal world that are going through their own valley of Baca and they need the springs that only Christ can give. But you can only give the springs of Christ if you plug into him, get those springs so that you have something to give out. They need more of God. They don't need more of Steve. More of Steve just going to make them weep more, I promise you. They need more of God in their life. God is looking for people that are not just going to hey, lay back and only think of their, their own selves. You know, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to kind of say it carefully. I love our worship team. I love what they do. I love Billy's heart. And one of the things I really like about him most is that he really is thoughtful about the content of our worship uh, here in our church. What I'm noticing at times in our own culture when I'm at a conference or whatnot is that sometimes the content is more about my spiritual well-being. When I look at the content of even what we just sang, some of the even some of the old you know, Isaac Watts hymns, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Those, those rich words 
are so meaningful because if we're not careful, okay, here we go. If we're not careful, we're only plugging, that's tempting to only plug into God for me. And it almost turns into somewhat of a quest for a kind of a Christian version of nirvana, if I'm honest with you. When we're finding strength in God, it's not just for me to feel better, for me to have peace with God. All those things are wonderful values. But God is calling us to plug into him and get the strength to give out to other people. Does that make sense? You remember Gideon? Gideon had uh, thousands of soldiers, and God called him. He didn't even feel like a water, but God called him to the... And he said, we're going to filter out these soldiers. I need soldiers that are going to rest, but they're going to rest with a different mindset. And so you remember all the soldiers came to this waterfront, and the vast majority of them were just concerned about their own thirst, and they just plunged their face down in the water and stopped being vigilant because it was all about satisfying their own thirst. The ones that God chose, only 300 out of thousands is those that took the water up. And as they were resting, they remained vigilant because their hearts were set on the pilgrimage of purpose that God had set them on. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. Now here's the core of this psalm that is just like a diamond. Watch this. They're on pilgrimage. They're passing through the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. And then in verse 7, they go from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. So I've got this um, new little um, phone charger. I love this little thing. And I had to read the directions because... It had one plug on it, and this plug does not fit into my phone. I have a little conspiracy theory that Apple makes more on their cables than they do their, it's just a theory, because there's a different one for every device. I'm like, okay, we got to buy a whole new set of cables. I think I have 83 at home. So I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense because this is, if you know, this is a USB-C and uh, it doesn't fit into my phone. Well, I'm, well, that's not worth anything. How does that work? And then I began to fool around with it. And the, as a man, I finally broke down and read the directions. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to let so many of you down. And then I found it. I'm like, oh, there's the extra plug. See, that fits into my phone. Watch this. We plug in to the source so that the battery is charged so that it will charge something else. That's the point of this little thing. We plug into God not because this is the end. We plug into God to get the fire, to get the charge so that God on the pilgrimage will use us to plug into someone else so that they are charged, so that they will go in charge, and they'll charge, and we charge, and they charge, and there's a lot of charging going on. Does that make sense? From strength to strength, watch until we appear before God. We're on a pilgrimage. We're on a destination. It makes a difference where your destination is because if we're not on pilgrimage, then this is it. 
If there's not a destination, then this is it. This is the only paradise we'll know. But God has us on a different. Paul said this, Philippians chapter 3, he said, but this thing I, I do, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal of, of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5, he says it again, I'm longing to be clothed with the heavenly dwelling. Second Corinthians 4 says, I fix my eyes. We fix our eyes on what is seen and not what is unseen. You can feel the urgency. And there's, there's just something about that the strength, the strength, the closer that we get to the destination, the more exciting it gets. So we grew up in Virginia. My family grew up in Virginia. Once a year, we'd take our one-week vacation to Daytona Beach. We would wake up. My dad, my dad would wake us up because he was an insane driver. You don't stop. You just stop for gasoline. You don't even go to the, the bathroom. I'll leave the details of how we worked that out aside. But he would pump that gas. Hey, get back in the car. Man, he was serious about getting to the destination. And we would start about 2 in the morning. Somewhere about daybreak, we're, we're through South Carolina, and we couldn't wait. It became a game for us every single year. Who can see the first palm tree? Now, I know we're, palm trees, we're, they're all around this, but when you don't live in it, you're looking for that first tree. And the closer we got, the more excited we got about, oh, we're almost to our destination where we can actually play on the beach and we can jump in the ocean. And the indicator was these palm trees that happened before. There's indicators along this pilgrimage that God is giving to us. Even when we look at the Middle East and what's going on, God told us there's going to be unsettling going. And it's indicators that we're getting closer. And the closer we get to the palm trees of Zion, the closer we get to the scent of heaven, the closer we get when we see Jesus eye to eye, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, the more excited we should be. For some of you who are older, I'm 64, for some of you who are older, you should be the most excited people on the planet. (laughs) What he said. My mom was 94 when she passed a couple years ago. She was leading a Bible study. She was witnessing to every nurse in the living, the assistant living facility. She was discipling an 80-year-old who became a close best friend. She took the mission of her pilgrimage to the last breath she ever had. Personal hero. This is the life that God calls. She could have checked out at 80. She could have checked out easily at 90. Her health was shot. She never gave up. God never calls us to stop. Listen, we're too close. We're we're too close to the shore. We're too close to heaven's shore. Let me challenge you. Do not rust. Do not rust. You'll be sorry because we will stand before God and he can't wait to congratulate us on this journey. I keep coming back to this verse in Ephesians 2.10. I can't seem to get away from it these days because 
We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already set the pilgrimage. And finally, in Psalm 62, it ends this way. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong. We find our strength in God, but, and that you, O God, O Lord, are loving. We have a God who is strong, powerful, but we have a God that is championing us from the shores of heaven. Don't give up. Don't count yourself out. Don't marginalize yourself, whether you're 14 or 94. Don't do it. Don't let family life, work life, backyard life, recreational life, don't let it take your heart off of the pilgrimage that God has you here for. Surely, God, you will reward each person according to what he's done. I've got these hedge clippers that I, I, I own. I use them once every five years or so. <laughs> I left them outside, maybe intentionally, <laughs> and I had forgotten about them. And I went out and I picked them up, and ah, they're all rusted, wouldn't move. Could have thrown them away. And uh, I'm looking at this, these two words, rust stops, because rest stops is a ver, is a noun. But you can look at this rust stops as a noun and a verb. Rust stops our momentum. Rust stops our passion. Rust stops our movement. So it'd be really easy to throw those hedge clippers away. But you know, you could sand it a little bit. And then you can put a little oil on it. And a little oil goes a long way. Some of us may need a little bit of oil from the Holy Spirit. Because oil on fire, like kerosene oil, man, it can get a fire going. And oil that's lubricating, man, it can get it can get things moving again. I wonder whether you're sitting in the room, you're sitting at home. If you'd say to God, I need a little oil. Culture has allowed me to rust a little bit. And God, I need the Holy Spirit to re-engage me. Let me pray with you. Thank you, Father, so much for these, these, these diamonds from strength to strength. It's not just strength for our benefit. You love us enough to know when we need strength and how to give it. But as you told Joshua, hey, get ready. Get ready. We have more, we have more extra miles to travel. I wonder who would be honest, God, with you and acknowledge, hey, I, I, think, I think my movement has rusted a bit over time. Not even sure how I got here. 
raising kids, having a, a heavy job, retiring, having two jobs, three jobs, taking it easy, getting out of rhythm, all these things, God, as you know, over time, they cause rust in our, in our movement. Thank you, God, that you're not only strong, but thank you that you're loving. Oh, God, we need that. Thank you, Father, that no matter where we are in the journey, no matter how old we are, no matter where we're going through, we live in this world, in the valley of weeping, where people are desperate for the springs of Christ, the springs of hope, the springs of comfort, the springs of strength. Even in our worst moments, we can shine the light the brightest. So I pray, God, for those of us that would say, God, oil me today. Fill me again, God. There's some of us that may say, God, I don't even know how I got here. I got left out in the backyard. Somehow I got rusted, and I'm sorry for that. And I just want to set my feet back on pilgrimage, God. And thank you for always being there for us, God, and always inviting the Abrahams, the Moseses, in the last quarter of the life into the game. Thank you for inviting the young Davids, teenagers, the young Josiahs into the game, regardless of which chapter you invite us into the game. You invite us into the game, God, even when we haven't even started a relationship with you, you, your invitation comes to begin that relationship. And we're thankful, God, that it doesn't come through being more religious, trying better, stopping bad habits, starting better ones. It comes through Christ. You are strong, God, and you are loving. And you love this valley of weeping, this world, so much. you gave up your boy your only boy your only son Jesus that's still amazing thank you God for not expecting us to get our act together in order to win your favor thank you that Jesus from the cross said it is finished our quest to make ourselves better in order to have a better relationship with you God And as we're in prayer, whether you're sitting right here in this room, maybe you're at home on your couch, at your kitchen table, maybe you're listening later in the week in your cubicle at work, maybe you're on a run or driving in your car, doesn't matter. Every space is sacred because God is everywhere. And maybe these these words are resonating with you in in a way that you didn't even anticipate. That's because God is inviting you. He's inviting you into relationship with him. He's inviting you on the journey. 
He's inviting you to the deepest purpose that you never thought could be true. He's inviting you through Christ. Listen, every single one of us are imperfect. But God calls us to acknowledge that before him because if we can't, we won't know the need of a savior. I need a savior and so do you. And that's because I'm a sinner and so are you. We are sinners, imperfect, broken, and we need a savior. I wonder if you would begin the journey with that reality, speaking from your heart to God. God, I need a savior because I am a sinner, I'm broken. Secondly, we're all trusting in in something, trusting in better behavior to be okay with God, maybe even come to a church today or tuning into a church service, trying to stop bad habits and all that. And when Jesus said it's finished, he he said it is finished because he has done a work on the cross to die in our place. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, when we trust in Christ, God sees us with zero sin. It's the only way we'll ever find peace. You'll never find peace trying it on your own. Would this be your prayer? God, I need a Savior, and I put all of my trust in Christ alone. Would that be your prayer? You may not fully understand it. It's a mystery and it's a miracle that Christ, the Lamb of God, took away the sins of the world. We just have to put our trust in Him. Finally, would you say to God, I want to turn my life in. I want to exchange this life I'm living and ask you, God, would you breathe a new life to me? Would that be your prayer? Very simply, God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I put all my trust in Christ alone. Would you breathe new life? We can't wait for the day, God. We smell the salt air of the shore to come on heaven's shore. look you in the eye to embrace each other to hear your voice oh God keep us on the pilgrimage let us plug into you God for strength for the strength of others we pray in the name of Jesus amen thank you for joining us And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, 